Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome back to Flipping Dreams. I'm Heather Renee May, your host. And today, you get to meet Elena Thurston. Elena shares her story with us, and it is super inspiring. Uh, she went down a traditional path, searching for belonging and meaning, ended up in, in an LDS Mormon religion, getting married, having the children, being the perfect wife, and going down that road until she realized she couldn't go any longer. She then began the very difficult process of opening up to herself, realizing and embracing her sexual identity as a lesbian, and ultimately going through the path of divorce and figuring out how she could be an even better mother to her children moving forward. She's an amazing role model. She has a wonderful foundation called Pride and Joy. And this story is super resonating for a lot of people, I believe. It is not just about Mormonism or conversion therapy or some of the topics we talk about in this talk. Um, I think it's super relatable. And I hope you take a moment to listen and find it inspiring and empowering to you as well. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to Flipping Dreams. Yeah, so, Elena, welcome to Flipping Dreams. <laughs> Thank you. I love, I'm so happy to be here. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad to have you here. Um, I'm excited to hear your story. And so maybe we'll just start by diving in and you can share a little bit of your backstory. Absolutely. Love to. And if I skip anything or if I don't make anything clear, please feel free to jump in and ask questions. Cool. So um, I, gr I grew up, I came from a family that was kind of dysfunctional. Shocker. Most of us have. <laughs> Check. <laughs> but isn't it right? Check that box. But isn't it funny how when you're growing up, you're like, sure, you're the only one with such a dysfunctional family, right? Yes, absolutely. So I was there. I was there. I totally felt like I didn't belong to my family and... I didn't know what functional parents looked like, and I didn't know how a healthy family looks like. And so I was ripe for finding a community that I felt like I could really belong to. And so I was 16 years old when I was introduced to this faith community, and they very much offered like, okay, be baptized, and you're now one of us, and our history is your history. Like they use a lot of language, like you've been adopted into the fold right? Like all those kinds of things really, man, it felt good to belong. It felt good to have adults in my life that were like checking on me and wanting me to be happy. And, and there literally it's called the plan of happiness is all about like 
go getting baptized and going through a temple and making these promises with God and getting married and procreating and multiplying and, you know, spreading the earth with people who are in the fold. And so by the time I was 20, I was married. And by the time I was 30, I had four kids. And there I was in my mid thirties and living such a hashtag blessed lifestyle, right? I had this husband who was supporting us very well and we lived in the right neighborhood and I had these amazing kids and I was the stay at home mom. So I had all this time and really luxury to be that mom because that was my role. That was my job. That was how I was going to get back to heaven, right? To be a good mom, to be a good wife, read my scriptures, say my prayers, go to the temple, do all the things, right? And I loved that. I loved that it was so prescribed for me that I knew I've done, I can check off these boxes and I know I'm a good person. Mm. Ooh, I loved that feedback. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> loved sure. Loved that, right? Yeah. And, um, about my mid thirties, my youngest went off to kindergarten, off to school. And all of a sudden I had six hours a day to think for myself. And that was a shocker. Mm. And then to realize that the underlying monologue that was going on in my head was that I didn't like my life, mm. but I could not admit that to myself. It felt so shameful because look at my beautiful life. Right. I have nothing to not like. I have worked really hard for this life and I should be the only emotion I should feel around it is pride. There, there cannot be anything else that's not acceptable. And there's a, there's a lot of guilt associated with that, right? Like yeah. when you're like, um, wow, like you feel guilty for mm -hmm. not being happy. Like you mm -hmm. should. So yes, yes. It's almost like it's akin to like survivor guilt, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm just, feeling guilty because I'm not loving and enjoying every moment of this life. Right. Right. And so that thought just became a little more prevalent, but I knew my role. I was a stay at home mom in this community and my youngest had just gone off to school. So the next step is prescribed. It's right there. You join a gym and you get your body back. <laughs> like, that's what you do. <laughs> And so I did. And it turned out I loved weightlifting for the exact same reason. It was all this external feedback. Like I could track how much weight I was losing and how much weight I could lift. And it was this external feedback every week of I'm getting stronger. I'm in control of my body. I'm a good person. Yeah. I was just going to say control. Like, right. Yes. It all circles back to that same, like needing control. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Control. And for me, it was proof that I'm a good person and that I'm progressing and that, yeah, that I was doing mm -hmm. all the right things. Um, and I can remember at that time, there was, you know, all the women in the neighborhood. So our, our church is geographically organized. And so the congregation that you go to church with on Sunday are literally the 300 families that are closest to you that are of that faith. Interesting. And so, yeah. So my neighborhood was 80% that faith. And so they weren't just like people I saw on Sunday. They were people I saw literally every single day. And those were all of my friends. Those were people I went to the grocery store with. That's who watched my kids. I watched their kids, like the whole thing. Yeah. So it, the religion is very much not like a Sunday only religion. It's like your entire life. And they're very proud of that because when you 
sacrifice a lot for something, right? You are going to make it as successful as possible. So when you sacrifice all this time and energy into this religion, you're going to make it as successful as possible. So um, I can remember going to a girl's night or like a mom's night out or something. We were at a neighbor's house. We were all hanging out, standing around the kitchen island, eating something, right? Probably complaining about our kids and our husbands. And, and um, a common topic of conversation with these women was, um, oh, what, what meds are you on? What doctor have you gone to? Like, what's your dosage? Like all of these like mental health meds, antidepressants and anti-anxiety and everything. And I can, I would have this intense emotional reaction, which I'm sure played out all over my face because I'm absolutely horrible at acting. (laughs) And this reaction was you people with your first world problems, like what do you have to be depressed about? Look at your life. What do you have to be anxious about? You have healthy kids and a great husband and you can pay all your bills. What is your problem? Right? That was me. Hmm. That was me. And I've since realized that whenever there is judgment, it is, it is hiding a pain. And so it's very easy to see that I was very much struggling, but I would refuse to let myself admit that, right? Because I was so busy judging myself and judging everyone around me. Which, by the way, is super universal, right? Yeah, it like, is. <laughs> and I'm sure as you've gone through this more and more, um, you're realizing that, yeah, this is something that a lot of people, it, it yes. really is a struggle. So, okay, continue. I just, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wish I had known it then, but I didn't. Sure, I know it sure. now. And now I'm, I'm able to see, at least with myself and with the people that I work with, when you have an intense emotional reaction to something, there, that's, that's a sign. That's a huge flag. Yeah. I want to check that out. So um, I started running as well. I started long distance running, literally running away from my life. Like I just needed a a way to not hear the thoughts in my head. And then that was still like, I still needed more. I was still upset. I was still dissatisfied, not content. And um, my running coach was a guy who was also a fly fisher. And I had, I had been running my own professional photography business for a while. And he proposed a trade. He would teach me how to run long distances and give me a training program and everything. If I would teach him how to take photos on his fly fishing trips, because most fly fishers don't keep the fish, it's all catch and release. So you might spend thousands of dollars on a trip and have nothing to show for it but the pictures, right? And so I was teaching him some photography tips. And, and then he had friends who wanted me to do the same thing, right? And I was like, man, if I'm going to start charging money for this, I should probably learn more about it. And so I started taking lessons and I fell in love with it. Oh, I just absolutely fell in love. And what's amazing was that fly fishing can be so meditative, You're standing in a river, which that in and of itself is so good for your mental health, but you have to be so present. You can't have all these tabs open in your brain of, right, did I read my scriptures this morning? Like, did I teach my kids the right thing last night? Like, you can't have all these things going on in your head. You have to be just totally present because you're casting and you're trying to catch that fish. 
And so it becomes very in flow, which is something I had never experienced before. And here I was like present and in my body and grounded and centered and it felt good. Mm. And that was something I had not experienced. And so weekends of that repeating over and over again, I started to release some of the shame and recognize what was actually going on, which was I was not wanting to be married to a man. And I was incredibly in love with my best friend. Mm-hmm. And once once that came became apparent and kind of forced me to deal with that, well, this, like I said earlier, the stakes are really high, right? Like I, I had a place in heaven to protect and I had a 17-year marriage and I had four kids. Mm, and so, pressure. yeah, a lot of pressure, a little bit, yeah. And, um, and it wasn't just that I was going to lose a few friends, maybe. Like I was going to lose my entire community. The whole framework. The whole framework. And at this point, did you start to question, um, like, who am I to, to do this? Like, I, you know, did you ever feel like you, I'm relating this a lot to my experience of, of facing those difficult decisions and also then hearing that voice in my head, well, who are you? Like, you don't count. You're going to hurt all these people. So why don't you just suck it up and just like do what you're supposed to do? And that is a really hard thing to overcome and realize your own worth. So, yeah. Um, yes. I'm, I love that you bring up that word worth. Um, because in my deconstruction, I realized a huge problem with what I was facing at that time was that the faith framework really puts a lot of weight on the concept of worth and worthiness. Um, for example, like where we get married are these huge temples and they're not like the Sunday church building that you go to. That's like really typical to see. It's like a huge multi-million dollar building that is a temple and it's where you make covenants with God. And so that's where you're married and you're supposed to go there constantly because that's where you remember and relearn how to return to God in heaven. Okay, well, not just every member of that church can walk in. Like you have to go to an interview every year where you're asked questions by your bishop, your religious leader, to make sure you're worthy mm-hmm. of entering that building. And you literally get a little card like with signatures on it. So when you walk into that building, you show the card, you show the evidence of your worth. Mm. So the minute that I admitted the, the, that decided, I decided by humans, by the way, that's like, correct. Not, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Decided by your neighbor. Who's a plumber down the street. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. And it's always a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> always. And up until 1978, it was always a white man. Like, mm. Yeah. So there might be a few issues there, but anyway, so, um, so the minute that I admitted that I was struggling, I put that in air quotes, struggling with same sex attraction, my card was taken away. Mm. Like, and what a message, what a message to you. What a message that sends. Yeah. You are not worthy. Mm. You are not worthy. And then the next step is, is that you can't take the sacraments on Sundays. Well, the whole point of the sacrament is to renew your baptismal covenants so that you're good with God. So that if you die, 
you are good with God because you've repented and you've renewed your baptism covenants. Well, I wasn't worthy of renewing my baptism covenants. So yeah, you want to talk about high stakes, right? And, and, and not only that, that's like the beginning of paving of the pavement of you don't belong. That's right. So, and, and this is why you came in the first place was to belong. Right? To belong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Very like, good connection. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. And it becomes very public because um, as in most churches, you take the sacrament in front of everyone. And so when you don't partake in that, your entire community knows. And like I said, they're not just the people you go to church with on Sunday. They are your neighbors. They are your best friends. They're your kids' best friends. Like I, w- I taught um, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts forever while I was in the church. And so all my Cub Scouts, those were the boys that were passing the tray, the sacrament tray. And they watched they Sister know. Thurston not take the sacrament, right? Mm. And so they go back to their mom and ask, why did Sister Thurston not take the sacrament? Like, it just becomes ridiculous. A, but lot, at of, the time, a lot of self-policing and a lot of, yes, yeah, yeah. A lot of group policing for sure. Mm-hmm. And so you can obviously tell I was in a really desperate place and I am a fixer. Wait, but can, I, problem, can I stop yeah, for just ahead. one second? I just want mm-hmm. to recognize the bravery it took for you to actually acknowledge that you were facing this, that you were having this internal struggle and the fact that you shared it. I, I mean, you know, most people would have just kept it within, taken more medication, figured out how to do something on the side, hide, hide, hide. Um, and the fact that you actually opened up that, what a brave move and like, bravo, okay. you have to wait okay. <laughs> because I can't let you go down that road too far because okay. I did fall in love with my best friend and it took weeks because I was sure there was absolutely no way that she was going to return the feelings. And then she did. And so there was like three weeks of these intense texts back and forth, like, I've never been happier than when I've been with you, like all that kind of stuff. Now, did I take the effort to try to hide that from my husband? No, because I'm horrible at lying. (laughs) And so all it took was like three weeks in, he looked at my phone and saw these text messages and he was like, what is going on? So don't, I don't want you to think that like, I'm this great person that I brought it out. Like it was, it was forced out. Like it really was like, which, which I think either way, like that is normal. I mean, I think our true nature is going to come out whether we like it or not. It's going to happen. So no kidding. And so wouldn't it behoove us to um, figure out our true nature before it tries to take us down? Right. (laughs) Right. <laughs> totally. yeah. yeah. That's kind of the whole point of, of, of our business. Yeah. Um, sorry, I got you off track. No, no. But so, you were talking about how you're a fixer. Yes, I am a fixer. And here I was working with my bishop and going with the repentance process. And it was never discussed like, oh, Elena, you might be a lesbian. Like that was never discussed. What it was, was, oh, you screwed up. Now you got to fix this because you screwed up. So it wasn't even an option. Like it was, there was never a discussion of, okay, well, are you not attracted to me? Like, do you not want to make this work? Do you want to make this work? Like, do you want to be attracted to women and still stay in the marriage? Like there was no 
discussion of that. It was mm. simply, you screwed up, now we got to fix it. And then a friend steps into the picture and says, oh yeah, there's this guy in town. Like he, he deals with this all the time. You should go see him. He'll fix it. Okay. And he's a member of the faith and he's a lot older and older men in the faith are really revered. They have a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience and yeah. And he says he can, he says, if I come four days a week, two hours a day, maybe a month or two, um, you know, and by the way, the cost is $240 a day and he'll fix it. And my husband was like, awesome. And I was like, great. And my bishop was like, great. And all three of us college educated adults did not think, I wonder where he was trained to be able to fix this. Oh, that would be because there's nowhere to be trained to be fixes. <laughs> and I wonder if there's someone in town who's better at it. No, there's not because it's been debunked by the APA. And so no card carrying psychologist is going to practice this. <laughs> like I literally do more research reading the reviews of the bath towels I buy on Amazon <laughs> than I did for this practice. It was just but, tunnel vision. But you were desperate. I mean, yeah, I was so desperate. Yeah, And that is, I think that's a huge part of the issue with conversion therapy that people don't realize, like they really feel, especially here in America, if you want to do something, you should have the right to do it. Like if you want to address your mental health in any way, whether it's crystals or a shaman or a conversion therapist, like here in America, we really believe you should have the freedom to do that. The problem is, is that we're not realizing how desperate these people are, whether they're parents of kids that have come out or they're like me, adults that have come out, they don't realize that one, the information is not being offered that 57% of people who do conversion therapy end up suicidal. Mm -hmm. That's not being offered. The information is not being offered that there's no success rate whatsoever. Like if I had been given that piece of paper, you know, like a typical disclosure form, by the way, you need to recognize that we have no success rate and there's a 57% chance you'll become suicidal. Would I have done it? <laughs> Absolutely not. Would we have paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to do it? Absolutely not. Mm. So it's a very odd, yeah, a very odd situation um, because you have, you had three college educated grown adults that all thought this was a good idea. Yeah. So if that tells you a little bit about like, I don't know how mentally affected you are in that situation. Um, so yeah, things kept deteriorating and deteriorating. And I did get to that point where I had a plan and the day came and it just felt because plan, I had been told plan to, 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 to end kill my you. life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I had been told very early on in the process, don't you ever come out to your children. It will destroy them. Mm -hmm. and, if, and as a mom, my kids are my biggest priority, right? And so the thought was, well, if I'm, I'm never going to come out to them because I'm never going to harm them. So what good am I? Mm -hmm. Like, I can't figure out how to, how to fix this. I've been going to this therapy for months and months and months now, and I, it's not fixing it. I must be too broken. Mm. So that's how easy it is to end up in that place, right? Absolutely. And um, the day came and luckily I had a good, 
good friend in my life who was able to recognize what was going on and she got me help immediately. I was in a psychiatrist's office that afternoon. So blessed, but bigger, like privileged. I'm, I'm very privileged. I had the funds, I had the contacts, I had the access, like very privileged and ended up in that psychiatrist's office. And then to hear her say, of course you're suicidal. You've been doing conversion therapy for six months. Like, mm. wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, and, I hadn't, I just had no idea. And here up to this point, you're checking all the boxes, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're still doing all the things that you think that you need to do that people are yes. telling you to do so that you can be okay and still be worthy and still maintain your family, but also like, um, maintain not control, but to actually express yourself, to maintain your own sense of self, which sense of self, yeah. which, which was being, you know, pressed down and down and down and down and down. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cause it's deviant. It's other, it's broken. Mm -hmm. And, and I wish I could say that that concept was only within that church or only within that conversion therapist office, but it's not like the reason conversion therapy exists at all is because we as a society view homosexuality as other and and from that stems all of these other problems right mm -hmm. so the psychiatrist let me know why i had ended up in that place and i was immediately prescribed my first ever antidepressant and anti-anxiety pills and i got to sleep for the first time in so long, I was able to sleep and it was wonderful. And every time I woke up, life was more clear and I was starting to connect dots and I was starting to see things more clearly. And at the time the Brett Kavanaugh movement was happening, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and the Me Too movement was happening. And we were seeing these headlines that 75% of American women have been assaulted in their lives. And that was the premise of my conversion therapy was something must have happened to you as a kid that made you think you're attracted to women. And so we just need to go back in your head into your history, find that event and heal that trauma. And then you won't be attracted to women anymore. Man, doesn't that sound logical? Mm. Doesn't that sound like science that will work? Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, can, I love how I love the extent to which people will try to write a story to make it fit what they want it yeah. to like it. I have been part of that where people have tried to rewrite my past. They've tried to step into a past that they don't even know. They weren't even there. Mm -hmm. They didn't even live it. Yeah. And try to rewrite my own past to make their theories mm -hmm. in the yeah. present. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, that, there's that's never going to work. Like, yeah. It, Anyway. Yeah, there's like some logic there that tells us maybe it will. Yeah. Maybe it will. We're going to call it therapy and we're going to call it trauma and we're going to call mm -hmm. it healing, healing, right? And, and so when people are like, so is that really conversion therapy? I have to explain that any conversion therapy is any, anything whose outcome, desired outcome is to suppress the same sex, sex attraction and result in heteronormative attraction. And so, yes, mine was talk therapy. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, you know, it used to be that there was electroshock therapy. And 
that was done 60s, 70s, and even up until the 80s. That was um, but so now, effective. Oh, yeah. so effective. Yeah. Let's, let's see how much damage we can cause. Um, but now what's being used is uh, forcing individuals, many times kids that have come out to their parents and have been sent to these conversion therapy camps, forcing them to watch homoerotic images and then making them drink like a charcoal drink to make them vomit. So creating that mind-body connection, which of course is based in science, right? And so of course parents are like, yeah, it's based in science and that'll work. It's not going to really hurt him. You can puke. It's no big deal. Yeah. I yeah, can't even, so, word, words cannot begin. I, I, I can't even, uh, I that is criminal. It really me. is. But. It really is. And so here in the United States, 20 of our states have banned uh, conversion therapy for minors. Um, but it is legal for adults everywhere and uh, legal for in, in a lot of states for everyone. So, mm. um, so I started to make these connections and the, the therapist that I was working with had found, he, he used this breathing technique. I'm not going to say it was hypnosis, but it did get your brain into a state where you could remember things you thought you had forgotten, right? Things came back very clear. You could see things and hear things and even smell things that you had totally forgotten about a situation. And I had been assaulted when I was 15 years old. And so he was sure this is it. This is why you think you're attracted to women. So we're just going to heal this. And so it was days and days and days and days of doing that breathing technique, going back, reliving that moment and reworking it, right? Like having that, changing the ending and bringing a weapon with me and doing all these things, right? Until eventually, supposedly it gets healed. So I'm doing all of that. I'm taking my meds and realizing I'm still going because it's, it's the thing that's supposed to fix me. Right. And here I have this husband who's sitting over here saying, show me, show me that you're trying to work to fix this. Show me that our marriage is important. Right. So of course I'm going to keep going because it's the only way I've got. And then I'm able to connect the dots and realize the headlines are telling me 75% of American women have been assaulted in their life. 75% of American women are not gay. Like 5% mm -hmm. of American women are gay. Maybe. <laughs> These two things don't correlate. They don't. Mm -hmm. And then it was a huge revelation thinking about my very good friends who had been through quote unquote worse traumas than I had, as if there is such a thing, there is not. But in my head, I was like, if anyone should hate men, it should be these women. Because they went through these very violent experiences and they don't hate men. They're still very much attracted to their husbands whom they love. Mm. They have great healthy sex lives <laughs> that I had been envying for decades. <laughs> <laughs> And so it was finally those wake up calls yeah. of realizing, oh, this doesn't play out. This mm -hmm. doesn't play out. And so I was able to trust this new psychiatrist a little more, right? Because now I could see with the logic. And I was sleeping and I was calmer and I was learning how to, 
take off a layer of judgment. Mm. I realized I was done proving my worthiness. You, Bishop, don't get to decide how worthy I am. I'm done with that. Yes. And that was pretty huge. <laughs> that is absolutely huge. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. that meant that this temple eternal marriage that I had with my husband wasn't eternal anymore because I wasn't temple worthy anymore. And, and that then kind of gave me the freedom to say, you know what? You deserve to have a partner who really wants to have sex with you. And I deserve to be alive and happy. Yes. So it's time to file for divorce. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That is, oh my gosh. Um, and, and what is it about the fact that we have to, like, I find that when we are faced with so much pressure and rejection and all of the shame and everything mm -hmm. that's piled on you, it's at that point when you finally turn around and face it and go, you know what? I don't care anymore. What, you know, and when you find that is such a freeing moment of like, you know, realizing that's like the first step of you realizing your self-worth and like, yes. and like really, really starting to go down a different path that is completely foreign and unknown because up to this point in life, you've been told what your worth is. That's like, right. So now you got to figure, now you're like, I don't know what this path is, but I'm going down it because I, that's it. This one's not working. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And for me, it was very much just one tiny little step at a time. So once it was, okay, this marriage is over and it's actually not failure for us to get a divorce. Like we both deserve this freedom. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hire a lawyer, file for divorce, find a rental, move out of the family home. For the first time in my entire life, I was living in my own space. And that was absolutely incredible. Ooh. Yes. Yeah. Cause especially that master bedroom, when you have shared a master bedroom with someone that you don't have a healthy, intimate relationship with that master bedroom gets filled with icky energy. It's just hard to survive in that. And so here I was in my own master bedroom with my own master bathroom. I could leave anything I want anywhere I wanted. I could walk in and out of that room dressed however I wanted. Like it was just amazing and felt very safe. And in that safety, I was able to take my next step, which was, okay, God, do you want me to be the gay member of this faith? who doesn't have full membership, who's not allowed to pray in public, who's not allowed to take the sacrament. That'll be really hard for my kids, but I've always had a close relationship with God. And if that's what you want me to do, that's what I will do. Or am I supposed to go down another path? Is there another path for me? And I was very lucky in that the answer came very quickly and clearly that I was done and it was time to walk down a different path. Um, other people that I've met that have left that faith have very much struggled. They haven't had that clarity. They've had to do research and find where the faith has lied to them and where a lot of horrible things have happened. And that has been the cause of the deconstruction of their faith. And that is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I was just going to say, like, you're not done with God. Like God's oh. just started with you. And that's yeah. the thing. Like, you know, I feel like, um, because although this is like, um, a specific, uh, religion, 
that we're talking mm-hmm. about right now. This is also, you know, you can see echoes of this in other, other so religions. So many. And, and it, and it always just kills me that, um, like having a true relationship, a personal relationship with God is like one of the most important things that anyone can have. That's your foundation. Yeah. And so people who think that religion is it are mm-hmm. the ones, I mean, they, they get quite lost if that's taken away and that's, and that's part of the control, right? It's the way of society controlling and shaming Absolutely. and all of that. But I'm so glad to hear that, you know, you, God definitely has had a very strong influence in your life and continues. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love that because I think that um, we could go down a whole rabbit hole about, sure. about faith, but I think yes. having faith is so important and knowing because that is where your worth comes from. It doesn't mm-hmm. come from the man-made side of this thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, it is a personal relationship. So yeah, um, I'm really glad to hear that. Yeah. And that, and looking back, I've realized something and something that's very important for me to communicate to any parents who might be in the same situation. The thing that my kids needed to hear the most wasn't even that I love them. Like mommy and daddy are going to be okay. And we love you. We love you. We love you. Right. You say that and you're hoping that that makes it all better. What actually helped them the most was when I said to them, I know God still loves me. Mm. God loves me and I love God and we are good. And I know that you go to church every Sunday with daddy and they tell you that I'm not going to be in heaven, but I'm here to tell you I will be in heaven with you and Mm. it's okay. And God loves me. And that's what they needed to hear in those moments of sadness and transition and change and confusion they needed to hear that I knew I was going to be fine and that God loves me no matter what. That's so powerful. And also when you, in the Ted talk, you talked about, um, you were talking about how, how important it is to that your kids deserve to have both parents happy. They deserve to have a mother that knows her worth it, knows God loves her, but is also really happy in living her life fully because you're no longer going to be the shell of a mother you're actually going to be like your true authentic self, which will encourage them to grow up and be their true authentic selves. And I didn't know that, like, it didn't occur to me. It literally took a therapist, a real therapist, looking me in the eye and saying, your kids need to be their own person. And they're not going to know how to do that if you're pretending to be someone you're not. Because again, in the faith, to be your own person is not the goal. Mm-mm. Like to become like God is the goal. And so it was never part of my parenting mechanism to encourage them to be their own person. That was literally never part of the parenting plan. <laughs> and now where I am now, I'm like, how was that possible? <laughs> so now my entire goal, my entire parenting plan is helping them Figure out who they are, who, th- what they like, what they don't like, what they want to do, what they don't want to do, like getting in touch with themselves. That's now my entire pi- parenting plan. <laughs> and, and really that's a plan everyone should have, right? Like yeah. I have this whole thing. So I definitely, the power of having your own space, 
of mm -hmm. figuring out what you like. No, I don't want the eggs cooked that way. I right? actually yeah. do like scramble. Like there's some movie with yeah. Julia Roberts. I forget. Uh -huh. Maybe it was Runaway, Runaway Bride. Bride. Yeah. Yep, totally. Yeah. Where she's like, I've got to figure out how, what do I really like? I've been just exactly. going along with it my whole life. And I feel like this is like actually our society, right? Mm -hmm. We're afraid to do something different. You get together with someone, you're with friends, everyone, you know, you just, you think you are doing the right thing mm -hmm. and you're going along. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't even know myself. I don't even know who I am. And so I often like think like for myself, but for, you know, I have such a strong feeling that people should all spend time with their, themselves every year. Like they should have their own retreat. Mm -hmm. They should have or time a week or time a day that they're like mm -hmm. literally it's their time and they're able to like not have to answer to anyone, not have to deal with voices in interference that they can just really explore their own nature because everyone has a, a unique journey. Like we yeah. are lucky enough to walk paths together, but we all have the like responsibility of cultivating our own path. And yes. I feel like, like reminding ourselves because it's so easy to get swept up in life and in our culture and then lose yourself and the beauty and the power, the light that we're supposed to be shining. I mean, we have to be in touch with that, right? Like mm -hmm. we're not going to do it otherwise. That's uh, right. So yeah, I think like what a powerful gift that you're able to share with your, with your children and how they're going to grow up and share that as well, which is super exciting. Right? Like yeah. that was, that was the scenario I was staring down. Like, so of my four kids, my two oldest are boys. And so at the time of the divorce, I think my oldest was 15 or 16, right in there. And so dating was on the horizon, especially in that faith structure. Like he was, I'm within 10 years of becoming a grandma. That's reality, right? Wow. wow yeah. I know you should see my girlfriend's face when I say that. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> so here my boys are, and I'm thinking, man, they do not know what intimacy looks like. They don't know what it looks like to cuddle on the couch or to slow dance in the kitchen or to be caught making out by your kids. You know what I mean? They've never been exposed to that ever. And I was thinking about their poor partners, of course, assuming that they're women, because that's where I was in my head, thinking about these future daughter-in-laws that weren't going to know true healthy intimacy because I had never modeled it for their mm -hmm. husbands right? Versus now I can say, oh, that's not an option. Like I, I actually want you to have sex before you get married. I know that's a shocker, <laughs> but I really do. I want you to figure, and, and to me, oh, you should see their poor faces when I say this. To them, the biggest sin you can possibly commit in their lives right now is masturbating. And here I am, their mom being like, please, please do please. it. Yeah. Figure it out. You figure out what figure you out. like. Yeah. What you don't like. Because then once you figured yourself out, then you can figure out your partner. And that's awesome. And, and you better hope that right now she's masturbating too. Because you really want to come into a marriage where you both know what you like and what you don't like. Because not knowing sucks. Yep. <laughs> And my 18-year-old is like, shut up, mom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> we got to do what we got to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, it's – I think it, you know, um, 
there's so many layers in our society of shame and guilt and, mm-hmm. um, and it's passed down from generation to generation. And I think that we often don't even realize like how the subtleties of all of that and how, um, you know, not being in touch with your body, not thinking that your body is healthy and good, not yeah. thinking, you know, thinking that any parts of your body are shameful or thinking all of that stuff will absolutely mess you up as a person and like completely circumvent you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it just, yeah, I think, I think that the, the more people can be in touch with their, their, and love themselves, mm-hmm. better our world is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I truly believe that you can't be in touch with yourself. You can't even love yourself if you don't know yourself. Mm -hmm. And so the most direct route from to increasing self-love is just increasing your knowledge about yourself. And when you're in a huge time of transition, right, when you're trying to pivot to life 2.0, what happens often is that your labels or your roles have to fall away, right? Like my label of devout wife in this religion was gone. And that was a huge part of my identity, right? And all of these parts of my identity was, were stripped away, gone. And so here I am left thinking, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like if you had told me five years ago that I'd be a divorced gay mom, what? Like, who am I? And so it's really hard to love yourself when you don't even know who you are, right? Also, yeah, absolutely. And also at this point, so you're dealing with the transition of trying to figure out who you are and how to love yourself, but you're also probably facing some major rejection from friends, family. Like, I mean, I know when I went through my divorce, I lost so much, including some of my family members, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I, I find it fascinating that people can be so judgmental. Um, when they don't know the truth. And, and I also find it fascinating that someone could be so invested in you believing their side of a story. Like who cares? Like the the bottom line is that it's like change. It's Mm -hmm. change. It might not be the change you wanted. And Mm -hmm. I think that, um, we're so afraid of things changing. We're so afraid of loss. We're so afraid of things we can't control. Mm -hmm. And, um, and and even within ourselves. So then you start to reflect back on yourself of the things that you're trying to like, how do you find the worth when you no longer have the identity, when you no longer mm-hmm. um, have that name, have that title, have mm-hmm. that role, mm-hmm. have that, you know, whatever, a hierarchy, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Um, okay. So what then? Like, how do you, right? how do you, how do you start to carve out your own yeah, self-awareness and like you build yeah. yourself up in a different way. And this is something that is, it can be very, for me, it was, um, it, it can be a time of solitude. It can be a time where you really have to rely just maybe on your relationship with God, maybe on one or two other people in your life, mm-hmm. you know, for a while until, you know, things start to evolve. I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I, a popular workshop that I teach is called life 2.0, how to love your new normal. And it's all about making that transition and, and it can be any transition and we all go through them. This is not just sexuality focused. This is, you could be transitioning from, 
being married to divorced. You could be transitioning from not having any kids to having your first baby, having your first one, your last one go off to college, whatever it is. You could be transitioning from working in the corporate world to owning your own business. Like take your pick. We're all going to go through these transitions. And so what are the skills that we can learn and implement that's going to make that transition smoother? So one of the first things I suggest is we do a, a core values exercise. And so we all whittle it down to we have these two or three core values that no matter what your roles are, no matter what labels are put on you, no matter what part of the transition you're in, you know these core values are core to who you are. And if you make your decisions and your choices based on those core values, you're not going to regret them because they were made to fulfill you. Mm-hmm. So I definitely love that as a starting base for it. And like you said, the self-awareness, I define self-awareness as the intentional observation of our thoughts and actions without judgment. And the more we're able to do that, the more we're able to learn things about ourselves. Like how would my life have been different <laughs> if I had been able to remove the judgment of mental health stigma and embrace the reality. The reality was that I was dealing with intense anxiety and depression. Man, I could have saved myself a lot of trouble. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right? Like what it what could what is available to us if and, we remove the judgment in our own head and simply observe our thoughts and actions. Oh, absolutely. Judgment and the negative thoughts and I and I love right now that there's such a focus on this. Mm, because too. it is something that like we can't overcome, but it takes training. Like we have to train our brains. We have to mm. literally tra- every day <laughs> because our I ego, totally agree. our ego doesn't want us to do that. So we have no, to yeah. like go against and battle. Um, and, and I try to find like the red flags that are like training opportunities. There you go. So it could be that intense emotional reaction, or it could be for me, it's if I'm hearing the word should in my head a lot. That's when I know like, okay, I'm in a bad mental place. Like this isn't healthy for me. Let's get back. Let's remove some judgment. For me, should is a huge red flag of judgment is going on. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to the concept of when I'm in intense judgment, there's you, it's hiding intense pain. Yeah. And so getting rid of the judgment just reveals the pain and lets me deal with it. And I also think there's fear, right? There's that Mm. fear of, of, of being exposed fear yeah. of figuring out that pain figure it like you've been hiding it or you know whatever the fear fear and judgment go together generally speaking. very much yeah um yeah one of the things yeah i absolutely do the same thing i love watching for the, like my trigger moments or reactions and mm-hmm. i'm like whoa what okay what's going on there yeah let's dig in <laughs> so one of the things that happens with me is whenever I'm taking a big risk, like doing something where I'm really going to expose myself to the public or, you know, and, and it's, um, very anxiety producing. <laughs> so, um, one of my recent reactions was in my dreams. I started dream. I kept dreaming that people were trying to kill me and they oh. would be like really, really intense dreams with knives, with guns. They're coming. Oh I mean, gosh. it was like intensely. And so I wake up from this nightmare And, and I realize as I wake up and I'm going, I was like, I was terrified. And then I was like, wait, 
this is just my fear of what I'm about to do. And then I was like, oh, let's dig into this. Let's yeah. like, yeah, you know, let's talk about this person who's going to kill me. Like, what is going yeah. on? Like, why am I so afraid of, or trying to sabotage myself? Like, don't get bigger because something bad's going to happen. And, get and it visible. Yes, yeah. yes. So I started to try to flip that um, because it is, and, and that's a lot of what flipping dreams, this concept of like, um, you know, we can call it transitions, but it's also, it's like flipping, like figuring out what are your core values? What are those passions? Mm -hmm. You know, what were the things that you really, really wanted to do or really believed in, but then you were told somewhere along the way, nope, that's not going to work mm -hmm. or that's over or whatever, or you're too old, you're too this, you're too that, you mm -hmm. don't have enough, you're blah, blah, blah. There's too many people already doing it, da, da, da. You know, all that crap that we pile on and that's all judgment. And, and so it's like, Figuring out how to tap into that and realize that you can flip dreams constantly. Like we all have a lot of dreams and that's part of being alive and that's what gives us hope to live every day. And so I feel yeah. like, you know, when you're passionate about something you're doing, you're going to wake up so excited and the people around you are going to be like, you know, it's infectious. It's, it's really wonderful mm -hmm. to be around people that are tapped in. Um, and so, yeah, this idea that we can constantly shift that perspective shift and like grow and change and that, and I know what I, um, let me circle back. Cause I think one of the things I wanted to, to bring up was like community, right? Mm -hmm. So here you are, you're noticing it in yourself. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're kind of checking yourself, gut checking yourself, the shoulds, the, this, the, that. Yeah. Um, and, and I totally do that too. Uh, then the next step is also finding a community of people because the thing is you've stepped out of a community of people that were policing through shame and guilt and, mm -hmm. and a, a very, very, very strong doctrine, um, mm -hmm. on what was good and wrong, good and bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and so stepping out of that and trying to find those people that you can trust who are encouraging, who are also believing in some of those same values. I think that that's like so important mm -hmm. to be encouraging because it, um, when you're doing something different, it's really easy to judge someone and be like, oh, they're crazy, whatever, they're nuts, they're on meds, who cares, like, whatever, oh, they're gay now, whatever, you know, I right. mean, people, you know, and, <laughs> yep. yeah, yep. and so, and so figuring out how to find those people who actually get it, who have gone through transitions, who have been in the arena, mm -hmm. who, you know, who can be supportive and be like, it's okay, yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. All the yes to that. Um, I feel like there can be such strength in community, but not until you're your own community, you know, oh, like that's here, good. I like that. Right. Yeah. Like here I was like as a teenager needing to feel like I belonged, I found a way to belong and it was very good for me for quite a while. Um, and then stepping away from that and feeling that emptiness, you know, 90, I, 95% of my social circle was in that faith framework and divorce was one thing and then to be homosexual was another, right? So I lost so much. And That's one way to like, you know, sort through friends though. It's a great filter. It sure is. <laughs> No doubt. No doubt. That and politics will oh, yeah. really whittle yeah. them down. Mm -hmm. Um and so I'll never forget, I was in that rental that I was living in and scrolling on Instagram, which could, can be such an e echo chamber if you only follow people that are just like you, 
right? It just becomes a total echo chamber. And here I was for the very first time looking for lesbians on Instagram. <laughs> it was so exciting. And I'll never forget seeing my very first photo of two women getting married. I like this beautiful wedding. They were both in these gorgeous dresses and there were flowers and people were smiling and cheering and everyone was happy. And I was blown away, blown away. And that's when I realized, and it's a huge part of my work now in our community in so many communities, visibility is life. Like I have no idea what account that was that I saw that photo. I have no idea who those women are. But if they hadn't gotten married, hired a great photographer and posted on Instagram, like that made such a difference for me. I did not know that lesbian women could go on and be happy and functional adults. Mm -hmm. And then I Googled to find out if there was anywhere where there was an ex-person of, of that religion who was a mom and a lesbian. And I found one. She had a podcast. She like had seven kids. <laughs> oh my gosh. And she was a lesbian and she was working it out. Like she was literally doing my transition and she was doing it in front of the whole world via this mm -hmm. podcast. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Talk about saving my life, right? Like I thought I was the only one. Surely I was the only one. Turns out no. <laughs> But, You're but like then, one of two. No, I'm kidding. Right, right. There's two. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> but then to realize, it took me a few months to realize because I was so lonely, you know? And so recognizing, like, all right, I'm 38 now. I don't know how I'm supposed to dress. Am I supposed to get a nose ring? Am I supposed to wear Birkenstocks? Do I have to wear a flannel? <laughs> Do I have to cut my hair short? What right? like, yeah, yeah. Like, I yeah. want to belong. I want to have friends. And so how do I do this? But luckily, I'm a little bit wiser. And I was able to recognize, no, Elena, you just jumped out of one community. You don't have to change yourself to jump into another one. Ooh, that's really good advice. So that was like, all right, I'm willing to be lonely. Like, I'm willing yep. to just be me because I'm really having a lot of fun figuring out who me is. And I love it. It goes back to your point of like building your own community with yourself yeah. before you like, so I don't know if this resonates with you. I have always been the type of person who has like tried to fit into everyone else's world. When I meet people, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well I could fit in this way or I can like, it's almost like I think of people or relationships like planets and I'm going to orbit around mm -hmm. the other person. It's never been me in the center. It's always been the other person or the other group or whatever. Let me figure out how to fit in. Um, and for the first time I'm like, no, 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 I'm just going to sit here in the middle and I'm going to orbit and orbit. And eventually I'm going to, it's going to be lonely and I'm going to yeah. feel like I'm, no one understands me, but eventually yeah. I'm going to attract someone who's attracted to my, you know, my orbit. It wants yes. to be like you gets it, you know? And I don't know. Yeah. If, yeah. That's been amazing for me to realize like the last three years have been absolutely incredible in the stronger I've become myself. It's almost like it's increased that gravitational pull. Yes. Like if I'm at the center of the orbit, the more that I get to know myself, the stronger my gravity is. And it is the weirdest thing how these incredible, amazing people have just ended up in my orbit. <laughs> that and is I love it. 
I love it. That's so encouraging. That's definitely what I mean, selfishly. So I did the podcast because I wanted to encourage other people, but also selfishly, I was like, I want to find the people that I want to talk to. Yes. <laughs> I was like, you know, I want to have yes. these great conversations. I want to bring people. I have in my mind this table of people mm -hmm. and who, who do I want at my table? And I want to find mm -hmm. those people. And if they're not right here, then I need to like, you know, build a platform to find them. Yes. And so that's kind of, but hopefully people it. are also getting something out of this too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But so confession time, that's exactly why I started Pride and Joy Foundation because I wanted to fill my table with people that kind of got it. Right. So here I was like navigating the divorce and navigating single parenthood. And I've got these four kids who have grown up in this religion and their dad still brings them to that church every week. And so they're really like one foot in one foot out. And I realized the most effective thing I could do to help them was to find other families that looked like us mm. and that felt like us, like where there's two dads or two moms and a bunch of kids and, and it works and it functions and it's normal because that's what every teenager wants to feel is normal, right? Yeah. They really felt like on the outskirts. And so here I am searching and searching. And in my area, it's really dang hard to find two parents, like two gay parents and their kids. And so that's why I started the foundation because people were reaching out to me from Instagram and Facebook and online. And they were saying, okay, I'm just like you, but I'm in Washington state, or I'm just like you and I'm in New York state okay, I just got to get you people all in the same room. So let's just start a foundation. <laughs> and next summer we'll have a conference and a family camp up in the mountains and we'll oh. have queer kids and queer parents running around everywhere. It'll be awesome. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. So that's the hope. But that's, I, it was started for selfish reasons for sure. I needed to find my people. I do. And I think, you know, sometimes you have to carve that out. Like, I think yeah. um, it's really easy to get discouraged and to just like, it takes, first of all, it takes a lot of effort. So I applaud you for the effort because mm -hmm. it does, it takes a lot of effort to raise that level of consciousness, to have that 10,000 foot view, to, to realize that like, if it doesn't exist right now, I know I can make, I can put it together, like, and to be that person to lead that, um, yeah. I think is so important because it's, it's really easy for us to have inertia and just to think that, well, you know, this is just the way it is. I'm yeah. just going to be lonely. I'm just, no one's ever going to really understand me. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've thought that, like no one gets me and I guess that's okay. And I'm just going to get myself and hang out with my dog and whatever. <laughs> the dogs always get us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My dog totally gets me. She's also very judgy. She's she's very bossy too. If, I, oh, wow. if I'm doing something, she doesn't. She's like mom. Yeah. She, <laughs> um, but yeah. So yeah, she's my. She definitely encourages me to be my better self. And um, but yeah, I think that uh, there's no. I think it's wonderful. There's no shame in the fact that like if you don't see it, build it. Right. Yeah. Make those Absolutely. connections, because I think. Um, oh, another thing like the visibility. I think this idea that um, I just want to say to everyone who has that voice, and I think we all have that voice where it, we're looking at social media and we're thinking, why should I even bother doing a thing? Because there's so many other people doing the thing and they're probably doing it better and they probably have more resources. So why even bother? And oh my I, gosh. I yes. literally have this conversation with myself daily. daily. Um, and I think the one thing like you that reminder, what you just said about that Instagram, that one post mm -hmm. 
gave you so much hope, gave you so much lift. Mm-hmm. And that person may have, may have thought, maybe I shouldn't post this. Maybe I should. I don't know. Should it be private? Do I not want people to know and share it? Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's so much that goes into that. And I think that, again, it's just a reminder that every voice really does matter. And it, it doesn't have to be the loudest voice in the room. You don't have to have it all figured out. Like literally just be honest with yourself, be authentic and sharing because I think all of that makes a difference. And this leads into another story that I haven't told yet um, about my last name. So when I got divorced, yeah. So, so I was married. I waited till my forties to get married because I thought like the odds would be in my favor that like either one of us would die or what, like, I I didn't think, I didn't want to go through divorce. So, you know, um, (laughs) But here it was I the am. biggest thing you were trying to avoid. So it you was waited until you were forty. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. I know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know the marriage is. Yeah. It was. Uh, anyway. So only four years or whatever, and um, and there was a lot of learning. Huge amount of learning. biggest lesson of my life. Seriously. But as I'm coming out of that and going through, like, who am I? What's my identity? I thought. It's really weird for me as a 40-something-year-old woman who's gone, who's taken the leap to be married to someone and go through all of this, to then go through a divorce and then go back to my father's name. Ew. And I was like, because I'm not that person anymore. No. I'm not the kid. I'm not the daughter anymore. I mean, I'm a daughter, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like weird association. And so I thought, but I don't want to keep the married name because this family yeah. will like kill me. So <laughs> I thought... <laughs> So I was like, what to do? And so I found, I had run across a blog post of someone who had, had talked about women choosing their own name after divorce. And I thought, this is so brilliant and free. Yes, it is. And also kind of crazy. But I was like, I don't care because at this point, everyone thinks I'm crazy. So it really doesn't matter if I'm going to be crazy. I might as well do it. So, um, so I, deliberated back and forth trying to figure out. And I finally chose a name that made me happy, that brought me joy, that was like, this is going to be my new identity moving forward because I'm not going backwards from the doors. I'm, I'm actually taking all this learning, taking all this knowledge, all the stuff I've been through, all the heartache, all of the stuff. And I'm moving forward from that transition into a new chapter. And I want that chapter to be joyful. Like I, I want to have it have a different name. So that's why I chose my last name. And... <laughs> that's blowing my mind <laughs> and I think more women should do this it's because yeah. also I thought you know when you get married you get a new name like I did what I thought mm-hmm. was expected I took the name mm-hmm. I did you know did the whole thing mm-hmm. but I thought all I'm you know I'm, I'm coming out of this marriage and what am I getting I'm getting debt and bills and like mm-hmm. and shame and all the and losing whatever the whole process of it Mm-hmm. I deserve something. I was like, I deserve because I am working hard at myself and I deserve mm-hmm. something. And so it was funny. I did, um, I was, I was nervous and I, I actually, I was like, you know, I'm going to ask my father for permission. Although no, well, no, 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 no follow me through. Cause my, my father's a very, he's a very strong person. And I thought, well, I'm still going to change it. You know, I'm going to do what I want to do. I've been on my own since I was very young. I'm like, my family gets that I'm going to do what I want to do, <laughs> but I wanted to make sure I, it wasn't as much permission, but I wanted to make sure I wanted to let him know I was doing it and make sure that he knew it wasn't because I was ashamed of being a McCowan. It wasn't because I was ashamed of his family or his last name. Yeah. It was because this was that my personal, sense. I was taking ownership of my life mm-hmm. as an adult. 
Like, I'm not a failure. Divorce wasn't a failure. It wasn't this thing that's sending me off backpacking to live with my father. No, I'm a grown woman who's made a choice and is moving forward. And so, the, and, and you know what? I had such deliberation about this. And when I finally asked him, he was like, yeah, sure. That's cool. I don't oh care. my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, I was so stressed the whole day, you know? And um, yeah, he, he could care less. And, and actually my family jokes with me now. They call me Mayday and like, Aww. yeah, whatever. Like it's, it's fine. It. They, so here in Arizona, you can't do that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Your options are you can keep your married name, you can get your maiden name. And in some rare cases, if you have a, if you'd like to change it to your middle name, like if you had a middle name and you'd rather use that as your last name, some judges will grant that. But those, that's it. Those oh, I options. had to do it separate from the divorce petition. Oh. I did. It was not included in the divorce. Okay. So anyone listening who wants to know how to like yeah. change your name, your brilliant new awesome name, um, <laughs> you, you, I the, definitely, the divorce petition granted me permission to go back to my maiden name. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did this separately. I went um, in the state of Alabama and I mm-hmm. basically went to the clerk and I forget like you there's a lot of conflicting information on the internet on how to do this, whether you need fingerprints Mm. and this or that, but basically you're just changing your name and it's a separate process and you just go through and file. And honestly, it was really painless and happened really quickly for me. Now, some States are different, but, um, but yeah, it was a separate process. And, um, and then I had to change all the legal documents and, and all of that, but it's a court order. Yeah. Yeah. But I felt so strongly about this. And I feel like there are these things that we can do in our lives that are like testaments to like standing up for ourselves. Yes. And when we stand up for ourselves and we speak out when we're visible, we are giving ourselves permission. We're, we are, we are actually stating that we're worthy enough to do that. That's right. You know, that's right. And I think that that's like really important. And that's one of the biggest things I try to teach. Like I try to teach smaller concepts, right? Like figure out your three core values, like smaller things, right? To make it accessible and, and you can do it. Like you can, you can believe that you can do it. And one of the small things that I teach is practice using words like that's not okay with me. Mm. I am not available for that. Right. Like these little things, even though the very first time I will never forget the very first time I said, that's not okay with me. I had been wanting to say it for decades. Mm -hmm. And I finally, finally could put that into words and it didn't just get stuck in my throat. It actually came out and that's not okay with me. Like it's just the shortest, smallest phrase. And yet the freedom that it can bring you is just absolutely incredible. That's huge. I mean, that's like boundary setting stuff, but yeah. also were you able to say it without going, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, because, right? like, I mean, you know, I feel like I, I'm still working. Yeah. I mean, every day I work on setting boundaries of like, no, yeah. I'm just, no is a complete sentence, but like, mm-hmm. you know, but without apologizing and being like, it's, mm-hmm. it's me, it's not you, but no, I can't do, you know, like figuring mm-hmm. out how to kindly, but strongly be like, no, this doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And no judgment on you, but this doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And like, um, yeah, these are all skills that we're not, they, these are not innate skills. These mm-hmm. are not skills that are passed unless you had an amazing parent that mm-hmm. did a great job of this. Right. This is counter to our culture. 
Very much. <laughs> Especially for women. Women are taught mm -hmm. to not speak up, to not say what they feel, to do you know whatever they can to fit in and make everyone else happy mm -hmm. and everyone else should have a voice and they should just be behind the scenes and yeah, you know, it's so it is it is it's huge to um to challenge and unlike I'm still learning. I'm still learning every day. Oh, when yeah. I, I have so much like, oh, uh, you know, but then I'll like finally, you know, say, say the thing, get it out. And then I, and then I realize like every time I'm doing that, I'm building this, like, it's not a wall. It's kind of like a bridge. I'm building yeah. a bridge to being this really strong, truly authentic self that I am because mm -hmm. I spent my whole life pleasing. And so to figure out how to not do that anymore, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Is or at least please myself more than I please the other people. Yeah. You know? Um absolutely. But okay, so tell me more about your foundation and how folks can be connected with you. Yeah. I'm sure there are people that are gonna be really interested. And and also I'm gonna share all your links in your TED talk and everything in the, the notes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So the Pride and Joy Foundation is dedicated to building self-awareness and safety within LGBTQ families and their allies that love them. So basically, once I came out of my experience, I was then, you know how like you buy a new car and then all of a sudden you see it everywhere? Like I came out of that conversion therapy suicide experience and then my eyes were opened to how prevalent it is and how high the suicide rate is and how high the homelessness rate is. 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ, mm -hmm. but they only make up 5% of the population of youth. So that's a huge issue, right? And it's something that American society doesn't really want to deal with. We don't want to deal with the fact that our neighbor the, the husband and wife down the street who we have barbecues with and we've raised our kids with them, that they would kick out their son when he came out. We don't want to deal with that because it's a reflection of the humanity that's within us because we don't actually know how we would react when our son comes out to us, mm -hmm. right? So we're going to ignore the fact that there are people just like us who are doing horrible things. It's like kicking their kid, their 14-year-old kid out of their house because he came out to them, right? So once I opened my eyes to this reality and I knew, I knew the pit that these kids were in and that these adults are in, I couldn't not do something about that. And so I knew that I had used self-awareness to get out of my pit and I knew that I had to keep working on that. Very early on, I went to this um, this party at a person's house, and there was a prominent social worker there, the social worker counselor here in the state. And um, she heard, we, we, we hadn't talked yet. She was on the other side of the room. And she had heard from people at the party that I had given a TED Talk on conversion therapy. Well, because of where we live in Arizona, she assumed that it was like pro-conversion therapy, right? And so she came barreling right over. She had words for me. <laughs> and I was able to quickly figure out the misunderstanding and say, no, 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 no. Like I went through it. And she said, oh, you're a survivor. And I had never heard that term. So I was like, yeah, I guess I am a conversion therapy survivor. And we chatted for a little bit. And then when she went to say goodbye, she said, remember, Elena, you're only a survivor until you're a statistic. Uh, 
your brain is now hardwired to go back into that pit. So when you experience new trauma or new struggles or new challenges, the, the tracks are already greased. That's where your brain can go very easily. And so you have to stay very proactive and not reactive. And so that was so good. And then I, really I still good see advice. it, right? Yeah. And I still see a therapist and she backed that up as well. And so, okay, if I am going to be actively working on keeping myself out of the pit for the rest of my life, the very best way to spend my time is going to be helping other people stay out of the pit too. That's like, such, yeah. Right? And so that, that launched the self-awareness concept of how can I teach queer parents that they are still amazing parents. And in fact, they're bringing something to the table that other parents can't bring mm -hmm. and to see the value in that. Okay, well, I can do that through self-awareness. Okay, how can I help straight parents with queer kids react the right way? Because I found just, just in the coming out conversation, if, if someone's coming out to you, it doesn't matter if it's your kid or a coworker or whoever, you are now at a crossroads. Your relationship is either going to get stronger and deeper or it's going to fade away. And that really sucks if that's your kid. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to equip these straight parents, like, here's how to have that conversation. Here's how to have the sex talk with your gay son that you never thought you'd have that kind of sex talk with him, right? Like, and you know what? Let me expose you to some queer adults who are incredibly happy functioning people who also have kids of their own, who also have to do their own sex talks, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's bring all of you together. We'll work on these self-awareness habits while forming community, while forming a sense of belonging for all of you. And then we have these allies who were like grandparents or aunts and uncles and their beloved niece, nephew, grandchild, whatever came out to them. And they're like, I want to be an ally, but I have no idea how to be an ally. Yeah, <laughs> so, sure. Right? Like, what do all the letters mean? Well, I hesitate to ask because someone's going to think I'm a jerk. Well, let me provide a space for you where you can ask that question and not feel like a jerk. And let me provide you with some information so that you can raise your kids to be allies to those queer kids at school who really need them. Mm, that right? is so good. Yeah. 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 And I think that um, the idea that you're opening horizons and like, um, so I know what I was going to say. This idea that um, you you really we we need a vision, right? Because like our whole culture is based up, based on comparative. Okay. We have a comparative, competitive, comparative culture. I just yeah, made that up, do. but it's so true. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> and um, so we want to see like what does this look like? Like if if we don't have that vision in our mind of what this family is supposed to look like or what this you know we freak out. And so providing people not only with a vision and where they're able to see other people yeah. that are doing this and how they're doing and ask questions and like, be, but, but also I love the idea of getting out of this idea that everything needs to be going. I want to circle back to the idea of like going from one community to another community, because I mm -hmm. think one of the beautiful things about when you transition between communities in life when you are kind of a stranger in a strange land or whatever yeah. until you find your build your community and yourself Ooh, that was lightning <laughs> someone believed me no anyway um but until you do that you have this really great 
you're able to see something different. And I think the more, like, it's really easy for us to stay cocooned with the same people, with the same beliefs, and, like, stay in this bubble. But the idea also is that, you know, learning how to do things differently, learning, bringing in a community and creating a community, but that is also able to understand and bridge the gaps between other communities. I Mm -hmm. feel like that is so important. Like, you know, not only just be like, okay, well, we're in this group and we're going to stay in this group and we're just going to be proud to be in this group and whatever. And they're in that group, Mm -hmm. but instead be like, okay, we're in this group, but we're also going to help these other people to understand what this is. And we'd like to understand what they're doing. And we'd like to share and have that cross pollination because I think that's when, that's when life and humans get really interesting. And that's when, you know, that's when, when you have those interactions is when you have the growth. And so I I think that's super important. Um, Yeah. Yes. I love that as well. It's awesome to be able to go into, for example, so I told you about how I got into fly fishing. So there's this amazing woman, her name is April Vokey, and she's like the Beyonce of fly fishing. (laughs) I really, I love fishing too. And I'm thinking of getting into fly fishing. So I will have to look her up. I got you girl. Okay, good, 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 good. So April Vokey runs this podcast and she's like one of the original podcasters. Like she's been going for over 10 years. Like she's got it going on. Right. And so she invited my girlfriend and I to come on the show. And that was like, oh, we're talking to April Vokey. Like it was such (laughs) a big deal. And it was, it was a great conversation. It was incredible. And I loved it. But what was amazing was that afterwards, she got so much communication and, and people were reaching out to me directly as well. I'll never forget. I'll save it for the rest of my life. I got this message on Facebook from this guy. He's like this hunter. I'm not going to say redneck because that's kind of demeaning, but like really down to earth, like man's man kind of guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he messaged me and he said, you've completely opened my eyes and changed the way I look at LGBTQ people. And, and now I get it. And I'm like, and we got dozens of those Mm. dozens and, and, and emails of guys who were fly fishers and gay, but hadn't told any of their fishing buddies that they were gay. You know what I mean? Like this, like, it was almost like April says I can do it. So I'm going to do it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It was just, to be able to go into a space that had nothing to do with sexuality and show my own humanity, which cued them into their own humanity. Yes, absolutely. That was so powerful. Because, yes, ultimately it is a ca- is categories based on sexual preference mm-hmm. or, or identity um, association. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that we're all humans, right? Mm-hmm. Like, That's you know, right. we're all like, when you, when you get down to it, it's like, we need to grow. We need to understand. We need to love. I mean, that's the one thing we're supposed to do is love, love ourselves mm-hmm. and love others and forgive others and, yeah. and, you know, and love your enemies because guess what? Tomorrow they might not be your enemies. That's right. You might, you might shine a light on them and they'll be like, oh my gosh, now I get it. That's right. Um, and so, always having that, that opportunity to, I mean, going back to faith. I mean, that, those those are, that's the basis of faith right there is, you know, it's not all the rules and regulations. It is about loving 
loving yourself, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, and first and foremost, loving yourself enough because you can't do those things without loving yourself. I mean, if you don't, if you're judgmental of yourself, oh, you're, That's right. you know, it's just going to come out to other, you know. That's right. Um, I can't imagine what it must have been like to be my friend during those years. I bet I just exuded judgment mm. because I was so busy judging myself. It's, it's like that um, iceberg poster that you see, yes. right? You just, just the tip of it is out of the water. I feel like that's what it was for me. Like the tip that you saw that I was judging other people, there was a massive amount underneath the water that I was judging myself. Oh yeah. And if you put that iceberg in a bathtub and then you drained it, that's basically what happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I had the iceberg and I was managing and then it was just, uh, completely exposed and I had to figure out how to like, okay, everyone knows my business. So let's just be that way. Um, yeah. So but it's true. And we all have it. We're all a bunch of little Titanic icebergs, like floating around. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. We could take this metaphor and keep going. With right. It. We could just I think go we get, yeah, we get the picture. Um, yeah. So I think, I mean, I'm so thankful that you exist and, mm-hmm. um, and that you are like actively sharing and helping. And I want to be an ally. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, I, and I hopefully people who are listening are going to reach out to you as well. And that, um, this conversation has, yes, just shed a different light and perspective, you know, because yeah. I feel like when it could be really easy to be like, oh, this is a conversation about how this is bad and this is good or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that life is way more complex than, oh, yeah. than that, you know, yeah. if you're just looking at black and white, boy, you're missing all those colors. Like it is really, uh, a beautiful thing. And yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. Thank you. This has been so great getting this to know you. Lovely. Yes. yes. I'm so glad we were able to do this. And I'm so glad you were able to develop this platform because I don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be over here doing these things. And so for you to have this platform ready and waiting and passing the mic, I mean, that is, that's huge. It's yes. literally a game changer for a lot of people. I, I hope so. And, you know, right now, um, it's still in the beginning baby phases. Um, I hope that, uh, you know, the audience will continue to grow. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to continue to stay, um, grounded in my core values of what I want this to be and these conversations to be, um, exploratory and interesting and inspiring and, um, and not scripted because, yeah. uh, yeah, I think it's more about just people understanding other people like, yeah. yeah. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, your website again, for people who are listening, how mm-hmm. do they find you? Yeah. So the website is kind of headquarters. So that's prideandjoyfoundation.com. And for the socials, we have a Facebook page. We have a Facebook community. We, I, I just joined Twitter. I'm trying to figure out that whole craziness. Um, my comfort zone is Instagram. It's where I hang out the most. Um, and it's where I show kind of the behind the scenes of my life with my kids and my partner and and what that kind of looks like. Cause again, I feel like visibility is life. So it's kind of weird. I'm sure a lot of your listeners will relate to this. It's 
weird being like, here I am, here I am again, here's my girlfriend, here's my kids, aren't we cool, here I am, right? Like that is ridiculous and I don't like that part of it. But when I reframe it to there are people viewing that and it gives them hope. Mm. Like, and I hear from them every week. There are women that follow me that are trapped, that feel trapped, that are messaging me in the dark in their closets in the middle of the night because that's all they can do, you know? And so when you know that that audience is there, it takes away that self-consciousness of here I am, here I am. Like I, I just really do want to offer them hope. And oftentimes they don't want to talk because they're afraid they'll get talked out of their life. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so all I can do is just kind of offer, there is, there is a path, there are doors and they can be opened. Yeah. And And this is what's waiting on the other side. And it takes action. Yeah. You know, um, not to get real scriptural or anything, but you know, in Matthew, it's like when Jesus asked Peter to walk, he was like, come just walk. You have to take the action. You have to step out of the boat and faith, but then he was met right away. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's something that I always think about that, you know, you, you have to step out that if you're afraid and you think that there's no way that there's absolutely, you can't even imagine how Mm -hmm. you you can live the life you want to live. You'd be really surprised and just take the steps. It doesn't have to be a big step. doesn't have to be a leap, but, um, just one step after another and you'll be met that I really believe that angels come into your life and people are there and like, um, you'll find, you'll find the way, you know, it's not going to be easy, but ultimately you'll end up really peaceful and happy and joyful. And, um, and you know, that's really, that's really what, selfishly like I want everyone to be peaceful and happy and joyful because right? it makes, because then I'm happy to be around them too mm-hmm. right so, you know. can you just love yourself so I can hang out with you right? that would be like, great like, like yeah I mean I just yeah totally yeah. so oh my gosh well I could talk to you so much longer um uh, but I mean we probably need to wrap this up um <laughs> in the middle of this wow what an amazing chat I hope you enjoyed listening to Elena's story hearing us talk about all these amazing topics um, and hopefully something hit home as well I hope it was relatable I hope it was inspiring encouraging and I hope that you are stepping away from this conversation feeling full of life because that's the point of flipping dreams. So thank you again for listening. Please share with your friends, family, network. Um, The more people listen, the more we can share the joy and love of this work. So thank you again, and we'll see you back here next week on Flipping Dreams. Mm